There's a word um, that seems fairly innocuous. In fact, it sounds fairly positive. That's the word share. But how many of you remember when you were young parents and remember the day that your um, little king or queen or prince or princess, that perfect little child that you knew was going to defy the law of original sin, remember that, ch that perfect child, the first day you said this word, to that child, she became a tyrant. It's the word share, right? When I am the king of my kingdom, when my room is my room, when my toys are my toys, all is well. What do you mean share? And all of a sudden begins the conflict about mine, the word that they learn first after mommy and daddy is mine. And that's mine, it is not yours. Share is a ridiculous word. I was not given that understanding when I came into this world. I came into this world being told that I was gonna be in charge, and now I'm not in charge because you're using this awful word, the word share. Share is a weird word as well. Um, it's, it's a weird church world. You, you know when we say we're gonna share, there's a whole assortment of meanings to that what we sometimes mean is we're going to gossip honestly right i'm just sharing this with you for prayer concern you know you're not you're sharing this because you're a gossip right or i'm we're going to share um which means some kind of a kumbaya thing that most guys aren't quite into right so sharing sessions are, are kind of weird however in the early church sharing was one of the values of the church. And so we've been tracking with the 40 Acts, and I think lots of cool things have been happening. I hope, hope they have for you. They have for me with just being more noticing of people around me and trying to do one of the things on the list um, where sometimes I even get past green and, and get up to yellow for those of you that are tracking with that. But we've been looking at the early church. And one of the, the steady marks of the early church was that sharing was a bona fide mark and value of that church. So here's what we read in Acts chapter 2. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. There was no needy person among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. What an amazing kind of an economy um, was established in that little early community of, of followers of Jesus. Where they, and I love the phrase, the way it's put here in the New Living Translation, um, they felt that what they owned was not their own. Isn't, isn't that a lovely way to think of it? And I imagine that most of us would, would love to be able to say that that's really true of us, that, that somewhere in our hearts would be that desire that it would be lovely to be in the kind of community um, where you really don't hang on to what is yours as though it were your own. In fact, you sort of think of it as not your own, but as something that is for everyone to use. The problem is that we're still human, right? So many years ago, Annabeth and I um, loaned out all of our camping equipment, 
And so we, we were in this little group of friends who, who did the I can do better than you every summer routine. We all went to camp together at a place in BC called Osuyas. It's the, the only legitimate desert in Canada, if you can believe it. It's a hot, lovely place at the south end of the Okanagan Valley. And every year we went with these various other family members and friends. And every year somebody would get a better piece of camping equipment. We we stopped the game when somebody bought the first motorhome. It was like, no, we're out, right? So so we had all of this this camping gear, and right about that time we moved back to Ontario, and the college and career group at school or at, at church were heading off on a camping trip up to Algonquin Park, and they asked if they could borrow our camping gear, and we said sure. So you know there was um, you know Coleman stove plus sleeping bags plus um, the best you know, eight-man tent uh, with rooms that you could possibly buy. And we said, sure, there you go. What they brought back bore no resemblance to what they took away. Right, Mike, you've been there. How many youth pastors have seen things absolutely trashed with one weekend of young people using it? When they brought it back, I had to fight with my emotions and I had to fight with my attitudes and part of me was going, are you serious? You took our stuff and wrecked it, and then you just bring it back, and you didn't even pack it up right. It's like, here it is in the pile in the middle of the gym floor. And then in the back of my mind, I think, was like an angel or the Holy Spirit or something, and saying, why are you so possessive of this stuff? Why, why are you so angry that they have wrecked it? Um, and things like, do you not remember ever giving sermons about things like this where you shouldn't bear bitterness and unforgiveness and you shouldn't hold on tightly to things? Remember the story you used to always tell about the, uh, the person that wanted to buy the, 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 the precious jewel and he had to give up? You preached all this stuff, so why are you mad? I thought, well, I'm mad because they wrecked my stuff. And, and it sunk into my mind and heart that, that I really didn't know how to share. Because if, if you know how to share, it means you have an open-handed willingness for people to take and use. Now, did those kids need to learn a lesson? Yes, and, and you know, just by the providence of God, I got to give that lesson um, because the youth pastor asked me to come and talk to them about the fact that other people had had the same complaints. So I said, this is not me, you know. It's not that I'm not upset, but others are really upset with what you did with their stuff. Right? So it all worked out in the karma of the kingdom of God, if there's such a thing. right? But look at this idyllic picture of people who, with open hands, just shared everything that they had and said, it doesn't belong to us. So the gospel did that. The gospel took people who were from disparate backgrounds. Remember, we had um, people who were Hellenist Jews. We had people that were um, sort of Palestinian Jews, and they were not like each other, and yet they were learning to be together in community. And they were learning profound lessons about sharing. This is Palm Sunday, and as I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm not sure which way to go on this, whether to, to just talk more about sharing or find some way that relates to Palm Sunday. And something came to me that, that is a, a perfect segue. So I want to show you another verse. And that verse is about the story, or a few verses, about the story of the triumphal entry. So all kinds of other things have been going on. And in the narrative, Luke just 
carries on into this little event, um, which I don't think we pay very much attention to, but it's about getting the donkey that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. So just along the way, Luke says, here's what went on. After they had been, you know, here and there doing this and that, then he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And there was the most famous colt in history on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. Now, isn't that kind of a weird story? So you're sitting at breakfast, and you hear a commotion outside, and your wife says, hey, Joseph, somebody's out there. And you look up, and you say, yeah, three or four guys are out there. They're, what are they doing? They're going over to the, the, they're hanging around the donkey. What are they doing with my donkey? And she says, well, you better go out and find out. He says, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I go out there, they'll rough me up. I don't know. They're, I think they're, they, they may want to steal my donkey. Why would they want to steal my donkey? She says, honey, come on, man up, and go on out there. So he goes out and he says, what are you doing with my donkey? And the answer is, is it's brilliant, right? He says, they just say, the Lord needs it. Well, what happened after that? I mean, was it, is that the end of the conversation? Did they just say, oh, oh, why didn't you say so? The Lord needs it. What does that mean? Well, in, in the huge view of things, um, we have a prophecy in Zechariah that says he will ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. So just a little lesson to tuck away for what I think all of this means for us. When there's a bigger biblical mandate, you don't question it, right? So I don't know the Spirit undoubtedly was speaking to this person who must well have been a, a devout person. And when they said maybe he knew who they were, maybe he had been around the disciples, and it was a familiar set of faces for him. But when they said the Lord needs it, Zechariah came true. And the thing that prevailed upon the situation was that it was God's word, God's mandate, the story of the Bible being unfolded so the person quickly and without hesitation says, okay, if the Lord needs it, we're all good. Not, well, when are you going to bring it back? Not, you know, are you, make, are you sure you can actually take care of feeding this lad? Um, none of that. It was just, if the Lord needs it, we're all square. He goes back inside and she says, so, what's up? He said, it's okay, the Lord needs it. And she says, what? What? Or, oh, okay, if the Lord needs it. Story of these disciples who were good at sharing, and the story about somebody who had something that the Lord needed, and he readily allowed that to be taken from his possession, perhaps with no guarantee that it was ever going to come back. What do we learn?
from the whole thing. I think that um, we, we probably go on a journey through life, through our maturing. And the state that we all begin in is the state of selfishness. See, that, that is where sin loves to be. Um, selfishness is a lot of I. Uh, it began with Lucifer, who had a whole set of eyes where he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And they all added up to his wanting to stage an insurrection. They all ended up to him being the one, that it was all about him. He was the most beautiful creature in the Garden of Eden until he was changed into a slithering snake. The most beautiful, gorgeous being that walked around the garden in his glory, in its glory. And its, its own um, sort of self-absorption began to work its way into its mind and heart. And he said, yeah, you know what, it's, it's, it's going to be about me. These humans that he's made, I'm going to turn them into being about me. So we are all born selfish. We are all born, and if we were forced to tell the truth, we would say what our children, our little infants, say without any kind of coaching, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. That'd be the best kind of world to live in, right? Here I am, I show up for today, and I come with this value. What's mine is mine, don't you touch it. But what's yours is mine as well. It's called crime. It's the stuff of crime. It's the stuff of those who have no regard for the property of others and who feel as though what others have is legitimately theirs for one reason or another. You don't understand. I did not grow up in the privilege that you grew up in, so I'm going to take that. Don't you talk to me about it. I am someone who is committed to the me, I am narcissistic, I want what I want, and if you happen to have what I want, I will take it. Um, I remember when I was in school in Philadelphia, we used to have a lot of fun with Americans versus being Canadians. And there was one poll that was done on the streets of Philadelphia while I was there when they asked people about Canada. So great things, you know. Canada, when I think of Canada, I think of lakes and mountains and people singing. Yeah, me too. Um, I think of ice flows and grandparents being sent with people waving on the shore. One person said, I think if we want it and they won't give it to us, we should take it anyway. There you go. May as well speak the truth. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine, is, is the worst place to be, but it's kind of where we start because we are infected by the corruption of sin, as we've spent lots of time discussing. The second thing is that I'm, I may actually be helped to grow out of that and get to the point where I can say, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is ours. Okay, sharing is, is a fine idea. Um, he doesn't get to take my toy home, though, right? No... It's okay, honey, he'll leave it here, but you're going you're gonna to play with it together. And one of the very important lessons for the infant is to share in the toy room or the playroom and say, you can't just grab that, you can't just take it, you need to share it. I, 
maybe telling you something you don't know yet as young parents, but believe me, the tyrant is inside your child waiting to emerge. Right? And so you grow a little bit and you say, okay, what's mine is mine and what's ours is ours. I'm cool with that, but don't break my stuff. So I'm going to come to band practice. I'm going to bring my amp, um, and we'll share it together. But you, you don't get to use my amp. I get to use it when we're there. there. And, and don't you break it, right? So it's only a little bit of a distance um, towards becoming a person who is truly, um, in his or her heart, committed to the value of sharing. The next place we might get to is this where we say what's mine is yours and what's yours is ours. That, that's not bad. Where I might say, okay, I've, I've been doing some inventory and I've realized that I'm pretty selfish and I'm pretty possessive and it's time for me to let you have what's mine without me having expectations, without me having requirements. And I like the idea that you have that same approach to things, so what's yours will be ours as well. One time my dad said to me, I want you to think of my car as ours. So I did. Well, translated mine. So I took our car. It was a 73 Pontiac Parisian. I don't know if you remember them. It's a beautiful car, one of those huge boat things, comfortable as anything. When I got in my dad's car, I, first of all, changed the radio station. Come on. And I turned it way up. I, I drove very slowly out of our driveway and down our street and then goosed it, right? So my dad had only lately said to me, you can think of the car as ours. And I'm going, that, that's great. I mean, what's mine is yours and what's yours is ours. Um, and I, I, I think I did some sort of pathetic, that's a, a really neat thing. Um, and I, I'm, I'll promise I'll always put gas in it and all that kind of stuff. So I was coming his way a little bit. It was New Year's Eve, and Annabeth had broken up with me sometime before. I know. And I was begging her to get back together, and she was, she's a hard-hearted woman. <laughs> and so <laughs> she finally on New Year's Eve said yes. I was beyond the moon. Well, we lived in St. Catharines, and the, I, I could still picture the streets she lived on, not far from the street we lived on. There were, there were New Year's Eve parties going on all over the place, which meant there wasn't much room between the parked cars on both sides of the street. I buried my dad's car into a parked car. It, it was bad. It was, it was really bad. My, my dad, to his credit, when I called him, he said, are you all right? Now, after I said yes, he said, then you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have any respect for what was his, even though we were saying it was ours. Something was not in the mix. So got to go a little bit farther and say, honestly, here's what these believers said to one another and meant to one another, that whatever I have is yours. We had a, a, a neighbor in Vancouver, his name was Ming, and I, I've probably mentioned his name to you before. Ming was Buddhist, but he was, he was a better Christian than I was. So as soon as we moved in, Ming came over, and he said, we live right there in the corner. My shed is open. 
you're welcome to take anything out of my shed that you want to use anytime. It's never locked. And everybody on the street knows that you're welcome to my stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, there goes my testimony. Because I'm going to put a list of rules on my shed if I ever leave the, the door unlocked, right? But he, he really meant that. It was like, whatever you need to take and use, please do. And it was a lesson to me because I thought, okay, where, wherever he is in his journey of faith, he's learning the responsibility of, of sharing and open-handed sharing and sharing that doesn't expect a return. So I, I, I tried to become like that, and, and, and I tried to value that. Um, and it's, it's actually wonderful how that works out, that you know, when, when you can truly say, this is not mine anymore, and you take your hands off it, you stop worrying because whatever happens to it, happens to it. And if it's in God's economy, whatever happens to it is what he allows to happen to it and whatever he does out of it. I don't know if you've been following the 40 Acts devotionals. There was a beautiful one there about a person who borrowed his neighbor's hedge cutter um, to cut back his hedge that was intruding on his neighbors. And then the hedge cutter broke. And so he went and bought a new hedge cutter for his neighbor who had loaned him his. And then the new neighbor said, well, it's, it's not just mine anymore. Let's say it's ours. And so the whole street opens up by this act of open-handed um, service to one another. And then basically relinquishing ownership and saying, well, let it be ours. That's good. So what can we share with one another? What can we share with the people around us? And how can we find ourselves easing into the demeanor of not holding on tightly to the things that we possess? I, I want to give you some suggestions. The truth of it all is this. What's mine is the Lord's. Why are you taking my donkey? Because the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. We grew up in, in Northern Ireland, and um, pastors over there were notoriously poorly paid. And we had a pastor, a little, they called him Wee Jimmy Byers, because Irish people do that. They, they use diminutives. Everything's a wee something or other. Wee Jimmy Byers was our pastor. And Wee Jimmy didn't have a car. And my dad was, was doing pretty well in business, and so was the guy up the street. And they bought Wee Jimmy Byers a car. It was a little Morris Minor, um, and they and they brand new, and they they drove it over to Wee Jimmy's house because Wee Jimmy lived in a manse. You couldn't trust them to have enough money to buy a house or anything. Just like keep them in the manse. We'll keep them poor. You keep them humble. Was we went about things. So they brought the car over there, and Wee Jimmy came out. And I was with my dad. Wee Jimmy came out, and he just broke down into tears, and they said, um, "This is for you." We, we bought this for you. And he said, you mean you bought a car and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive it? And he said, no, no, no. We bought a car for you. It's not ours anymore. It's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. I, I, I still, I mean, I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I, I remember we Jimmy Byers' face. And it, it was like there was grace oozing from that situation. There were no strings attached. There were no expectations. And the point of it all, my dad and Johnny Bellingham, the man up the street, said, 
The truth of it is, it's the Lord's car. So you take care of it for him. But it's in your name. You're the owner. And it made my dad and his friend Johnny feel good. They were, you know, they weren't, um, they weren't being smug. They were just saying, you need a car. You're going to go visit people. You're going to go to meetings. You need a car. So here, here's a car, and it's, it's the Lord's car, so take care of it. What's mine is the Lord's. So I know that that's true, and you know that that's true, because we talk about lordship, we talk about ownership. But here's the kickers. Whenever God says the Lord needs it, you have to let it go and make it available to him. It's not time then to start negotiating ownership and lordship. If the Lord says, I need that, you have to be willing to give it over to him. And presumably, he will call on you because he hasn't left all things yours to enjoy only. He has left all things yours to be a blessing to others and to be of service to him. So I want to ask you this morning to take a bit of an inventory. And maybe you're thinking, okay, garden shed, what's in there? Snowblower, lawnmower, is that what you're talking about? Maybe. But there's more to it than that. There are three things that we have that aren't ours. And the first two I think we sometimes neglect to consider. We have time. Time is the currency of our generation. And the time that I have is not mine. I have to get to the point of being able to say to the Lord, my time is yours. So if you need it, it's yours. And that's the crunch, isn't it? Because the, the common complaint we all have is, I am so busy. And I'd like to somehow or other get control of my time. But I can't. I'm going crazy. I'm so busy. And into that mix comes some religious guy who says, by the way, the Lord wants your time. And you go, are you serious? I don't have any time left for myself or my family or anybody. What does it mean to say that the Lord needs my time? Second thing we have, and you've heard these three before, is my talent. The gifts and abilities and skills that I have are not mine. What do you have that you've not been given, says the New Testament. So go ahead and take your inventory and remember, you know, put them in two different columns, put down the things that you have, and then put down the column of the things that you were not given. The things that you were not given is an empty column. The column of what you've been given is the same as what you have. So your abilities even though they came to you genetically from brilliant parents and great opportunity and super education, all of that, they're not yours. You were given them. Somebody else gave them to you. Some society gave them to you. Some school gave them to you. So you have to say, okay, how do I run through the list with all of these things? Because I'm stuck at the first one. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. I actually want your time and your talents as well as my own. And you run through the list and say, no, because I think if I'm going to be growing more and more mature, 
then what I have to be ready to say is what's mine is yours, okay? So what's mine in terms of my time and my talent and my treasure are yours. What do you need? So when someone comes to you and says, you know, if you ever need help with plumbing, I'm a plumber, don't let that go unheeded. Call that person and say, I need a plumber in the worst way. And let's not make empty offers to one another when someone calls and says, yeah, you know that time at that party where you said you're a plumber? Well, I need a plumber. And the guy says, yo, I was drunk. I didn't mean that. No. If someone offers, realize that it's somehow or other part of their being stewards of what is theirs. And it's altogether right that they should be saying to you, if you ever need it, ask for it. We, we just, we're too proud to ask one another for the things we need. You may be in a financial need, on a mess, and you know that there are people around here that are good with finances. And they maybe even have said to you at one point, if you ever need you know, an hour of some advice, just give me a call, and you're too proud to do it. Well, understand that it's part of their discipline, of their stewardship, that they're making that offer. But what we have... All of it is because it's, we've been given, and all of it needs to be submitted to the, the growth of stewardship that gets to the point of saying, yep, around here what's mine is yours, and around here what's mine is the Lord's. And that's a humbling thing, isn't it? Because you might say, well, can I have like a reserve list where I say everything except this? No, you can't. That donkey may have been their only donkey. It might have been their only means of of existence. It might have been their their wage-earning animal. But when the disciples came and said, the Lord needs it, they handed it over. We probably need to get tougher with one another and say, you know what? I think the Lord needs, and you identify something in their possession, some of their time, some of their talent, maybe even some of their treasure. There are those who have been given custody of larger sums of money by investments and savings and inheritances and all of that. It doesn't belong to them. Don't be intimidated by the fact that they have custody of it because if they're followers of Christ, they will share it and they will say, at the end of the day, it's his. And if the Lord has need of it, then I'll pass it over. So we start with ourselves, right? We go through the whole thing of, oh my goodness, I'm so far back from even being open-handed that you say, Lord, get me to at least the next step in this whole thing and get me as far as you can towards what's mine is yours and what's mine is the Lord's and help me to assess what I have. Help me to take stock of it. Help me to be realistic, you know, not to be saying, oh, I, there's, I can't do anything. There's nothing I have to offer. And you say, for goodness sake, there's lots you have to offer. And tell one another that as well. When somebody says, I can't do anything, I say, that's ridiculous. Let me tell you what I know you can do. And then go ahead and do a bit more search of what you know you can do. How do, how do we make sure that we live into all of this in a way that um, is honoring to God? 
As far as my time, my talent, and my treasures, I need to possess them before they possess me because all three of them are vying to be tyrants in my life, right? Time is trying to become your tyrant. It wants to tame you. Your talents may be wanting to tame you. Your skill, your athletic ability um, wants to tame you. Your treasure wants to tame you. Your treasure wants to become a large, ravenous beast that says, you don't have time for this other stuff. Make sure you're spending time with your financial advisor. Make sure you're watching the stocks. Um, I'm in charge here. So I have to possess them. I have to say, just a minute here, I'm in charge. I am the one who has the time, the talents, and the treasure. I own you. You don't own me. So stop trying to do that. And it's, it's what's going on, isn't it? I mean, why, why are we resisting what's happening in the frenzy of our lives and saying, I can't control time. Time's too big for me. Time is, is too voracious for me. I can't tell it to stop. You must, because it is trying to take you over and will, unless you say, no, I'm in charge here. Second thing is that we need to share as a matter of spiritual discipline. We need to say, part of my Christian life, part of my discipleship is my sharing. And, and it's that serious. So it's not just, oh yeah, every now and then I should give attention to being a better steward. It's, no, it's a discipline. As much as prayer is a discipline, as much as meditation is a discipline, witnessing, Bible reading, all those things, a spiritual discipline needs to be the process of sharing. What am I doing today that is a sharing of my time, talents, or treasures? Today. Because they will take me over, or I will forget that they are important and not practice them as a discipline if I don't today. And then I need to yield lordship lest they become lord. So not just that they're trying to take me over, but they are actually looking for the sovereignty that belongs to Jesus. And so if, if they get to run the show, they will determine who it is that gets to ask for them unless I've bowed the knee to Jesus and he's the only one who can ask for them. He's the one who can ask for your time, your talent, or your treasure. And you need to say, if the Lord needs it. So is that different? It is. Sharing's a lovely idea until you get into the middle of it and it's not so easy. And then you think, okay, well, so how seriously should I take this? Well, here's a community of believers who said they didn't view themselves as having ownership of anything. They were willing to share it. And if anybody had need, they even sold stuff so that they could give them money. That's pretty radical. And then here's a group of rowdies who come and they're untying your donkey and you say, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord has need of it. All right, say no more. I think the Lord is going to whisper in your ears and mine, I need this. And then we need to remember all of this stuff and say, oh yeah, I said you are Lord. So if you are and you need it, here it is. Well, what if, what if I give it and I don't have enough left? That's all the better because then you get to prove that God actually is the supply that you need him to be. As long as you've got all the stuff that you need, sometimes you don't really even need to go ask God about anything because you've already got it. 
But if he says, I'll have that, thank you very much, and takes it away, and then you go, what am I going to do now? I needed that. And I'll guarantee you God will give you something better. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone gives things away in this life, you know, whether it's mother and father, possessions, all these things, in this life and the next life, you'll get more back than you give, more back than you lose. So share. You like the word? Let's get to like it. Let's get to do it. And let's get to submit all of our time, treasures, and talents to the Lord and say, if you need it, here you go. Father, we pray that you will teach us to follow you the way that we ought and to hold very loosely onto the things that we have, not because we deserve them or have even earned them, but that they've been somehow or other given to us and lead us in the discipline of sharing in Jesus' name. Amen.